My name is Ben Beard, and I own Redcliffe Homes in Las Cruces, New Mexico. I'm searching for the top tips and tricks of the trade from experts in the construction industry. Welcome to the Ben Beard Show. Our guest today is Alan Trellis with Home Builders Network in Columbia, Maryland. Alan, welcome to the show today. Thank you. Glad to be here. I'm excited to learn more about yourself and your business. Um, tell me a little bit about you and what you do. So um, our business, there's three of us in our business. Currently, there used to be five at one time. Um, we are consultants, advisors, coaches to home builders across North America. We have 39 active clients and about 15 to 30 other companies that we give advice to on a semi-regular basis. Okay. Um, we've been doing it. This is my 50th year in home building. Wow. Well, congratulations. Well, thanks for being alive that long or just for success succeeding. 50 years in this industry is a long time. It's a long time. 50 minutes sometimes can feel like a long time. So yeah. that's great. Well, tell me a little bit about your background and how you got into the industry. So my training is as a civil engineer. And uh, I went into the Army in 1969, into the Army Corps of Engineers, where I became an instructor in critical path scheduling. And okay. I met my partner there. We were lieutenants together at, at Officer Basic Training. We've been friends ever since. He's been my partner, friend and partner for over 50 years. Um, wow. So I always loved houses when I was a kid. Um, we only owned one house for about a year. The rest of my life, we lived in apartments when I was a kid. And um, so when I came out of the Army, I was looking for a job. And I called the National Association of Home Builders looking for a reference to a builder. And they said, why don't you come and work here? So I went to work for the National Association of Home Builders. I rose to become the technical director there. I was there for almost seven years. Then I wow. went out and was a builder for a while. And then for the last 25, 30 years, I've been a consultant, speaker, and writer. Um, okay. So. Awesome. So what, um, what you started, what did you start doing with the National Home Builders Association? I was the assistant director of technical services for codes, standards, design. And then I became the director. I would fly around the country, help builders with problems, represent the builders at the different code International Conference of Building Officials, BOCA, Southern Building Code Congress. I was a member of the National Lumber Standards Committee. I was a member of the Fire and Life Safety Committee of the um, all different work representing the home building industry, almost as a lobbyist, technical lobbyist, we'd call ourselves. I sued the federal government. I sued HUD. Um, wow. Did all kinds of good things. Yeah. yeah okay. <laughs> So that's fun. And then what did you, what did you do with the home builder? Where were you building homes? I built in Maryland. Okay. My partner and I were, we were custom builders. We built about 15, 18 houses a year for about 10 years. I really, I got tired of dealing with people who were, um, were a little too full of themselves and how important they were and how, if you worked for them, they kind of thought they maybe they owned you a little bit. And so, um, that was kind of, I think, where I first learned to help builders become production builders. I was a, I was a decent builder. I wasn't great, but I, always, I was a really good teacher and a good writer. And um, I'm an unusual engineer. I can actually write pretty well. And so I decided I didn't want to do that anymore. And 
I began to speak and became a pretty big thing. And after a while, I just closed up the home building business and became a, a speaker, writer, consultant. Okay, cool. So you were, were a production, uh, custom builder and, and now tell people not to do that, huh? Well, you know what a custom builder is? A custom builder is a guy who wants to start at the bottom of the learning curve every time. I'm like, why would you want to do that? I mean, once we figure out how to build a house, why don't we build that house over and over again instead of constantly starting with a new house that we really don't understand with a customer that we may not want to deal with? It's, it's, it's not the highest and best use of our skill set. Sure. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. Okay. I've helped a lot of my clients grow significantly. When I was in the beginning, most of my clients were custom builders. Now my average builder builds between 60 and 300 houses a year and make, you know, does between 20 and a hundred million dollars a year. Wow. wow. But I still have a few guys, you know, I have the best high end custom builder on Cape Cod. I have one of the best high end custom builders on the main line of Philadelphia. I have one of the best high end custom builders in um, Northern Virginia. Hmm. Those are three of my but all the rest of my clients are more in the 300 to a million dollar range. And I should say that my partner and I, we own parts of six home building companies. Oh, and, wow. I, and I sold one last year that we owned a significant part of. Okay. Um, so, and I'm in land, I'm in seven land development deals around the country. Wow. With okay. my builder as my partner. Interesting. That's, that's kind of a cool model where you're, coaching people and then you're able to jump in and help support financially invest with them. And then I imagine continue to give advice to help make that project as, as profitable and as efficient as possible. Yeah. We, we put a value on our advice. We add that value plus cash as equity to the project. And then we're in the project with them. They like it knowing somebody with a lot of experience is there as their partner. Mm -hmm. And, um, we like it because we can make more money than as a consultant. Yeah. Okay. And, I'm, I'm, and I'm, I'm willing to put my money where my mouth is. You know, if I'm going to give you advice, then I'm willing to put my money into the deal too. So, yeah. Okay. That's great. Together, let me know if you got a good land development deal. We'll do it. Absolutely. Well, I'm looking at doing, doing some of my first deals, land deals. So. Well, I'm actually helping a builder in Northern Virginia do his first land development deal. We're a 10% partner in that project. Actually, we actually own 18% of the profits. Um, and, you know, he's, he's been my client for about eight or 10 years, but he's never done his own land development. In that market where he is, most of the land is controlled by developers, but we found a piece, we bought it, we're developing it. I'm helping him raise some of the money to do that. Aside from our equity, we have investors because land <laughs> development today requires quite a bit of cash. Yeah. Not all my builders have all that cash. So sometimes we do outside equity investment. Okay, cool. So you working at the NHB, break off, do custom building, and then start your, your speaking, writing, coaching career. Right. How do you, tell me about the writings. Is that uh, books? Is that podcasts? What, what kind of writing have you done? So this was my first book here called Documents, Contracts, and Worksheets for Home Builders. Okay. I wrote that a long time ago. McGraw-Hill published that for us. 
And then, I, I think I saw a picture of a floppy disk on the, on the cover. There so is. That was There's a, a floppy ago. disk in the back in case you need that for your computer. And uh, I thought I was like a state-of-the-art guy. Now, man, I had a floppy disk in the back. Absolutely. Why would you want to type those forms? So um, then I, um, I've had four other books published. Um, I've written over 300 published articles, spoken to almost 100,000 builders through the wow. years. I was the chairman of the NEHB Custom Builder Symposium for its first five years. I started it when I was chairman of the Custom Builder Committee of NEHB. I've also been chairman of the Education Committee and chairman of the, of the um, Business Management Committee at NEHB. Wow. So I imagine your, were your books published through the NEHB? Oh, my second book um, uh, was, it was called Building with an Attitude. And then I have another book that we self-published called The Road to Success is Always Under Construction. And then we have two other books that we self-published, one about negotiation and one about profits. And then I've written some pretty extensive articles. Like I spoke at the Builder Show in 2013 and wrote a 100-page paper for that, which is, um, which is a pretty nice paper about how to make more money in home building. Okay. I think it's a nice paper. I mean, the reader would have to decide for themselves. But um, so, how did you how did you get started as a speaker and coach in the home building industry? So, you know, I always liked to teach. I was a teacher in the army. I liked to write. And um, while I was working at it, was while I was uh, serving on the NHB committees, people asked me if I could help them. I started to do some speaking. Um, my partners like you're talking for free, you know, this doesn't make any sense. We need you here. All right, so I'll charge $500 to give a speech. And that didn't seem to bother anybody. So then I said, I'll charge $1,000. And then I said, I'll charge $2,000. They kept paying it. And one day okay. I said, I kind of like this more than home building. And let's just make this a full-time gig. So uh, 27, 28 years ago, we, we did. Okay. No, I, I forgot to ask. So you left the army, went to work at NHB. Was your partner working at the NHB or did he go straight into building? Or? He went to work for a consultant. He's an engineer too. He has two master's degrees in engineering. He okay. went to work for a consulting firm and then he wasn't happy there in, uh, in um, Columbia, South Carolina. And so he was from the Midwest. And so I got him a job back in Washington for the NHB Research Foundation. So he worked there for a few years. Okay. And then we were building some houses part-time. Then we built houses full-time for a while. And then we decided we wanted to be advisors, consultants, writers, and we did that. Okay. So you were able to just leverage the connections you made at NHB to go launch that new business. Correct. Okay. Great. How do, um, so kind of walk me through what's happened over the last 27 years is obviously the economy, multiple cycles of of the industry how's that kind of worked out for your business our business has been great all the way through i mean you know when when builders are doing great they want advice on what to do with the money and when builders are doing poorly they want advice on how to make money so we've been pretty busy i mean we struggled a little bit in the slowdown um but we always had work i mean we didn't make the kind of money we used to make. And we lost some money in some of the investments we'd made with our builders between 06 and 10, but we bought other projects and end up making, make, made all that money back and more. So, huh. um, but 
Right now, our clients collectively will do 3,300 houses this year for about $1.5 billion. Wow. Um, and many of them have been with us over 20 years. I mean, of our 39 really active clients, um, 10 of them have been with us for, for about 20 years or more. Another 15 have been with us between 10 and 20 years. And most of the rest are between three and 10 years. I only have, I'm only taking one or two new clients as I, as someone interests me or they have an interesting business or they'll take me fishing, you know, things like that. So they have to have certain criteria to get on the list. Okay. Got to be into fishing. So I turned down four people last week that wanted us to consult for them. Cause okay. I'll give a speech. I gave a speech at um, a meeting of something called Epcon, which is a yeah. franchise builder operation. And I also do work for Arthur Ruttenberg Homes and own part of three Arthur Ruttenberg franchises. And, um, you know, out of that meeting, people ask you, could you come help me? And, and most of the time, I'm either really busy or they're, they're pretty young in their careers. And that's not as challenging as I, I want to be challenged by a little bit more sophisticated level. I took on one kind of basic builder, but I think he's a little frustrated that my advice is a little above where he wants it to be. And I'm a little frustrated that I don't kind of want to get down in the weeds to the level, you know, like this is how we make a sign kind of thing. So, you yeah. know, it, it, I kind of, most of my stuff is a little more advanced. When I speak at the convention, I typically give what are called master sessions for builders that kind of know the fundamentals. And we're talking about pretty detailed, higher level stuff. Yeah. Okay. And are you, are you consulting in all aspects of the business or specifically in land development? In so we, in my most recent writings, I talk about the 15 functions of a home building business. And we consider ourselves to be experts in, well, we consider ourselves to be experts in about 12 of them. But we consider ourselves to be, let's even say we're really experts in nine of them. We're pretty good in the other three. And the last two or three, I'm kind of like, I can help you, but let me give you the name of someone who could really help you there. Yeah. So, and we do some strategic alliance with, with people that are experts in warranty, experts in showrooms, experts in selection processes. We, we tend to specialize in um, pricing. I'm supposed to be a well-known national expert on pricing. Spec houses, what you'd call inventory right? Mm -hmm. um, land planning. My partner and I are both excellent land planners. My partner in particular is really good. Um, product development. We own 800 copyrighted plans. Um, huh. We sell some of which we sell different ways. Um, those, those are the things that I tend to give the most advice. Planning. These are the, the, the functions are vision planning, Accounting, finance, land acquisition and development, construction, warranty, estimating, purchase. Those are the functions. Mm -hmm. We know a lot about all of those. I don't like to talk about warranty. I have enough trouble keeping my own customers happy. So I'm not going to tell you how to keep your customers happy. And at this age and this stage of my life, I have a tendency to tell, my, to tell people's customers, listen, that's unreasonable. If you don't like it, what can I tell you? Yeah. Which is not great customer service. I get it. So... <laughs> But 
I do believe that we have a lot of people that are spoiled as customers. And I do not believe that the customer is always right. I know that statement can't be true because I've seen lots of customers that were wrong. So, you know, and I think sometimes you have to tell them that. You can tell them in a nice way, but in the world we live in today, lots of people are really difficult. And I'm in a yeah. stage of my life where I'm not interested in dealing with difficult people. So I'm not a good person to give advice on how to deal with difficult people. Yeah. Because I don't, I don't feel like I owe them anything beyond like you're being difficult. You okay. Know, you be reasonable. I'll be reasonable. You be a jackass. I'll be a jackass. You know, that's, that's kind of like gotcha. quid pro quo, right? Yep. There you go. Something about the goal to do unto others. So anyway, um, but no, we, we give advice. I mean, I'm a coach and a friend to most of my builders. <laughs> so they'll call me up and say, I have them having this problem with this lady. What, how do you think I should handle it? Um, you know, so-and-so wants to quit. How do you think I should handle it? What's his name wants to raise? Do you think that's reasonable? What do you think I should do? I'm thinking about opening up another operation in a second city. You think that's a good decision? I do a lot of financial work with my clients, helping them on profitability. I'm pretty good at knowing all the ways to increase margins and make companies more profitable. So those are most of my, my work is around product, sales, pricing, land acquisition, land development, product development, spec houses. Those are the things we spend most of our time on. Okay. Gotcha. And strategy. I'm a pretty big strategic thinker. Okay. I try to help my clients get up out of the weeds and think bigger picture sometimes. Yeah. It's easy to get sucked into the weeds. Yep, definitely. So uh, when you say you're, you have, I, I don't remember the number, 20-something active clients. 39. 39. You're, you're involved in their businesses. How often do you have kind of a set monthly call with them or how does... So before the pandemic, my wife and I were on the road 180 days a year seeing our clients. Wow. After the pandemic, I solved the question of, can you do some of this remotely? And the answer is yes, quite a bit. And yes. so this year, I only went on the road about 40 days. And the rest <laughs> was all Zoom. Next year, I'm going on the road about 95 to 100 days. And the rest will be Zoom. So my clients have different levels of interaction with me. My most intimate clients we talk on the phone every week or two. <laughs> Some of my clients, and, and I'll see them twice a year. Others, I'll see them once a year and talk on the phone every month. Okay. Zoom. And then others, I'll see them once a year and we'll Zoom every quarter or every two months. And then some people, just two of them, I don't go to see them at all. They don't need me there. We're at a stage where we can do everything by Zoom. I'll Zoom with them. Could be as little as four times a year. There's one of them I'm helping to mentor his son. And so I, I Zoom with him four times a year, but I Zoom with his son every other week. <laughs> Just helping him an hour every other week, helping him figure things out. Okay. He's, he's, he's the, his kid is the land acquisition guy. So I've okay. helped him figure out how to acquire all the lots we've got now. Good. Okay. So are you, are your clients, uh, do they do kind of group interactions with each other or just directly with you? Uh, sometimes mostly with me. We have a conference every couple of years where 
20 or 30 of them will come and they, a lot of them know each other. Sometimes <laughs> I'll put them in t touch with each other. I'll say, call this guy, you know, Pete, you know, Bob, call Bob. He, he had a problem like that. And I think the way he handled it is great. Why don't you talk to him about it? Or, gotcha. you know, I told the guy today, call Matt because Matt can do what you're doing poorly better in that particular arena. And rather than me sit here and spend two hours telling you how to do it, why don't you talk with Matt and Matt will show you how he does it. Yeah. Okay. That's the network part of Home Builders Network, right? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. And uh, are your clients generally kind of all located on, on the East Coast or you coach people across the country? That would be very nice if they were all on the East Coast, but uh, let's see. Tour in Canada. Three okay. are in Canada. Three are in Canada. One's in Calgary. My biggest builder's in Calgary, Alberta. One of them's in British Columbia. One of them's Ontario. I have a builder in Seattle. I have a builder in Arizona. I have two builders in Texas. I have a builder in California, about to be a second California builder. I have a builder in Florida. I have a builder, you know, they're, they're all over the place. Okay. Yeah, it's pretty well spread out. How much do you see building or the industry change from market to market? You know, I would tell you that 75% of it is universal and 25% is market centric. Okay. And sometimes it's in certain areas, it's 95% the same. Change right. the name, change the number, same solution, same problem, mm -hmm. right? Yeah. I, a lot of my plans are built in 14 different states. Wow. Now, I've got multiple elevations. They may not be the same, but the plans are the same. Sure. And I've got a plan with the exact same elevation that's a bestseller in New York, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, and North Carolina. Wow. Interesting. It's, it's a top three plan for all five of those places. Wow. Wow, that's incredible. That's that's neat. And that's that's something, you know, you have a very unique perspective on because I've always kind of guessed, I mean, 75% seems like a pretty reasonable number that most time it's the same, but there's just a few local specifics. Yeah, it typically is about how they sell, how land is controlled and purchased, um, the kind of basic house that the market likes. Is it a one-story, a two-story, a master down? But after that, a lot of the stuff is very transferable. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, some of the, that's, it's interesting because I was thinking just specifically about construction of the home, because for example, where I'm in New Mexico, we don't do basements. We don't do crawl spaces. It's just slab on grade. I have a client in New Mexico. Oh, really? Albuquerque. Okay. Now you're wearing up New Mexico. Yeah, I, I'm in Las Cruces. so Southern New Mexico. So, so I bought land in Las Cruces. I forgot you were in Las Cruces. I bought land in Las Cruces, oh man, I don't know, 18 years ago. Uh -huh. I have a builder who's one of my second longest builders was in Tucson, Arizona. We're now in Flagstaff also. We were going to open up in Las Cruces. But we just oh, thought, really? well, before we get to that, let's buy some land in Las Cruces. So I bought, just as a speculation, so we bought 29 acres on the U.S. highway on the way to the rocket launching place. Uh-huh. And then we kept it for three years and sold it. We did great. So wow. Probably would have done greater if I'd kept it, but but we did okay. Yeah. Okay. So I know Las Cruces a little bit. 
Yeah. Oh, that's neat. How do your clients, how do you find your, your clients or how do they find you? Well, they, in the old days, I would try to help them find me by speaking all the time. I still like to speak just because I like to give back a little bit. And sometimes it's, it can be profitable, but most of the time it's not particularly profitable. But mm-hmm. so the, the requests I still get mostly come from when I speak. Um, but since I don't really, I'm not looking for new clients, it's not really an issue. The way I found most of my clients found me originally was through my speaking and writing. Okay. So, and I know you probably have some confidentiality, but uh, without violating that, can you kind of tell me a couple of stories of your biggest clients that have gone from smaller to, to much larger? Sure. Well, I can tell you some specifics without telling you who they are or where they are. Sure. Okay. So I have a builder I'm with them eight years. Uh, I'm coming up on eight years. When I got there, he was building um, 65 houses, making about $600,000 a year. This year, we'll close 120 houses and make $4 million. Wow. Next year, we'll close 180 houses and make $8 million. Wow. But, but that's the best house is the last house, by the way. That's why, you know, if you, if you build 20 and you, and you make $300,000, if you build 25, you can make $450,000. Yeah. And so, because a lot of the overhead is fixed. And so, um, so that's a good story. Um, I've helped three of my builders, well, four of my builders sell their companies. And I okay. was our owner in one of them. We bought, I put a group together and we bought half of a home building company, kept it for five years and just sold it to a national builder for okay. a lot of money. For a lot of money. Um, let's see. I helped a couple of my guys get through the really bad years pretty well and come out the other side and do really well. Um, I don't know what, what other stories could I tell you? Um, I love it when my clients build some of my houses and those houses win the all the awards. I like that a lot. That gives me a great, yeah. I like to design houses. I have a, a designer that's worked for us full time. Now he works with us and we design houses together. And a lot of our houses are really good houses. Yeah. I love houses. I love housing. I'm, I'm, I just, if it's about houses, I get it. I understand after 50 years, there's not much about houses. I don't understand. And are you focused strictly on single family residential or do you get into small no, multifamily? We, we do townhouses and apartments too. Okay. And in fact, I, I helped design some apartments and help. I've been helping a lot of my builders the last 10 years grow their apartment portfolios. I've been telling them to get into building for your own account. And several of my builders now have between 500 and a thousand apartments. Wow. Okay. What do you I actually own with my builder in Minnesota, we own 12 rental single family houses together. I was going to say, what do you see as the advantages of building apartments to keep as rentals versus single families to build as rentals for yourself as a builder? Um, depending on the market, the cash flow may or may not work for single families. In general, I like single families as rentals. I like, I like townhouses the most because they're, they're the best of both worlds. I get to build four at once. Mm-hmm. But when I go to sell them, I can sell them individually or I can sell them collectively to invest. So I have a lot of options. Yeah. So I, I, I recommend to most of my customers a blend of 
multifamily townhouses and single family detached for their rental portfolio. But again, it depends on the individual. All strategy depends on circumstance. Yeah. So, so let me, I'm, I'm going to just ask you some questions. And when we get to a point where either I'm getting too, too specific or, or I, or you got to start charging me, then, then just cut me off. But uh, talking about building and, and some of the advice I've been given by local builders or um, guys with a lot more experience than me is always, you know, build at least one thing for yourself every year to keep um, and, and turn it into a rental. You put it on a 15 year mortgage and, and in 15 years, you get your first paid off property and then they just start paying off one, one at a time. But um, what, uh, what do you recommend for builders as far as equity when they do build to rent for themselves? Well, that's a great question. The, the name of the game is if I, if I put 40% down and I build a rental house and I, and I have the 40% that I built one rental house, if I can put 20% down, I can build two rental houses with the same 40%. Mm-hmm. By the way, if I put 10% down, I could build four rental houses with the same money. We call yeah. this what? This is leverage. leverage. This is leverage. And so the, the right answer is it depends on where you are in your life, where you are in your career, how much capital you have. I tell people, I'll give away 70% of the project and use other people's money. I'll own 30% of a hundred houses. Yeah. Right. For no money. So what would you rather own 40% of one or 30% of a hundred? You know, so, I mean, well, you'd actually own the whole one, but you know what I'm saying that yeah. it really depends on what's available. A lot of times I'll help my builders partner with the land seller. We'll let the land seller own part of the deal and help his land. Then I have to come up with the land money. Yeah. So this, if you, if you really want at a personal level, if you want me to coach you on that, yeah, I have to charge you for that. But, yeah. or I'll just take a little piece of the deal and I'll, I'll go with you the whole way through. So if you want to build some rentals in Las Cruces, call me up. We'll talk. <laughs> Sounds good. Um, and, and that's something I've tried to do. And I, that's kind of my philosophy too, is how little can I put into this deal? But I have friends who, you know, they're, they're going to put a minimum of 25% into every deal. And I'm going, well, that's great. If you have that money, I don't. So I'm, I'm going to leverage everything I can. And, and, you know, someone said to me the other day, why do you still have a mortgage on your house? And the answer Cheap is, money. if they're going to give me money at 3%, I'm going to take it. Yeah. Because I know how to make more than 3% on money. Yeah. So why would I pay off the bank and take my money that I can make 15, 20, 40 points on and use it to pay down a loan that's costing me three points? That does Oh, and the government lets me deduct part of that. So, I mean, like, you got to be in... And I've had this conversation for 40 years. Yeah. There's a builder in Wichita that I met 25 years ago. When he was young, he figured out he was building duplexes. For every three duplexes he sold, he could keep, he could keep one. He had enough. He could keep one. Wow. And now he's 70 years old. He's 65, 66 when I meet him. He's 80-something now, 83. And he, he, he says to me, I got these 60 duplexes. And I owe, they're worth about $9 million. They're worth about $150,000 apiece. Wow. And I owe the bank $3 million. 
And in another three years, I'll own them free and clear. What do you think of that? And I said, I think that's really stupid. And he said, what? I said, let's see. The first part that's stupid is you let the bank have $9 million of collateral for a $3 million loan. So that's just dumb. I said, the second thing is, why, why, why the money's cheap. Why don't you call up the bank and tell them you want to do this? I want to take 30 of them and refinance it for $3 million. I want to finance those 30 for 100000 apiece. Mm-hmm. Then take 10 more and tell them you want to put a million-dollar line of credit on there so next time we need money in a hurry for a great deal, we don't have to go run around and find it. And the last 20, you just take them and the bank can never touch them. They're yours free and clear tomorrow. And he said, they'll never do that. I said, have you asked them? And he said, no. I said, why don't we call them up and ask them? Because they'll never do it. Well, I'll tell you what we'll do. Why don't you call their ass up right now while I'm here in the room with you? I'll call them right now. Mm-hmm. We call them up, talk to the banker. Guy says, I don't know if the committee will go along with that. And I said, Clifford, let me talk to the guy. I said, Clifford, Clifford said, this is Al, my consultant. I said, I just want you to know, I think that that's a very reasonable request. I know Clifford is a very good customer of yours. He's been a good customer for a long time. I would hate to jeopardize the relationship. It's certainly not my decision, but my advice to Clifford is that's the way these should be financed. Yeah. 15 minutes later, the phone rings. We talked it over, Clifford. We can do that for you. <laughs> wow. Now, some of your friends, the conservative guys would say, I don't like that. I don't see how any rational person can not say that my financing was better than his. Yeah. And, yeah. And I mean, you're, you're, you're still, stuff. you're only two thirds leveraged on the first 30. Right. So you're no leverage uh, unless you find a great deal on the next 10 and the rest are free and clear. Right. How, how can that not be better? Yeah. So, and I, you know, I understand money pretty well and financing pretty well. I'm not a, I'm not a wall street guy. Although when I was young, that's what I thought I would want to do with my life. And okay. so anyone who says all leverage is good is wrong. And anyone who says all leverage is bad is wrong. Leverage yeah. is like everything. It depends. Yeah. You know, I like one of my hobbies is I find quotes I like, and then I write about them. What, what, what does this quote really mean? Okay. And one of the things that you discover is for every quote, or axiom, you can find another one, a good one that says the exact opposite. He who hesitates is lost. Look mm-hmm. before you leap. Luck <laughs> favors the bold. Wait a minute, which is true? Well, the answer is they're all true, depending on the circumstance. Yeah. If you, if you need to be first to the market, he who hesitates is lost. And if you're going to invest so much money that if you lose it, you got a big problem, then you better be careful. So that's, you know, I wrote a whole article about that called um, When Truisms Collide. Yeah. Yeah, that's a great point. I was with a great friend of mine, a friend of mine who's a really great speaker, better than me. I'm a pretty good speaker, but he's better. And he's a national, he won the 
Toastmaster Award for the, you know, that competition for, he won that. Yeah. Wow. Across the whole country. Wow. Whole world, I think. Got to be a great speaker. Yeah. So he, he gives a speech at college, college is called, um, the, the good is the enemy of the perfect. And I give a mm -hmm. speech basically that the perfect is the enemy of the good. <laughs> and so yeah. that's what I wrote the article. I'm like, well, wait a minute. We're both getting paid pretty good money to, to say two different things. What's this about? Well, the answer yeah. is if you're on the rocket ship to the moon, then the good is the enemy of the perfect. And if you're trying to get there with a product before the other guy, then the perfect is the enemy of the good. It just depends. Yeah. So. Okay. Interesting. So Alan, what, I mean, from your point of view, what are some of the big trends you've seen over the, over the last several couple of decades in the industry? And what do you, where do you see the industry going in the next 10, 15 years? So we know that houses have gotten bigger pretty much consistently until the great slowdown. Then they got smaller for a while. Now they're getting bigger again. Mm -hmm. We know that the number, well, I mean, how far back do you want me to go to before air conditioning was standard everywhere? I mean, we can, you know, <laughs> I've been doing this a long time. We can go way back or we can go back to aluminum wiring or we can go back to the last five years. Well, I think it's more relevant to talk about the last five years yeah. so, or the last 10 years. So the peninsula kitchen is dead. The island kitchen rules. Okay. Number two, no island is too big. It's impossible to have an island that's too big. Mm -hmm. Number three, walk-in closets matter and people want big closets because people have lots of, what did George Carlin used to say? Stuff. People have lots of stuff. Yep. The at-home study is almost a necessity and I'm designing a lot of houses with two of them. Wow. Sometimes two full ones, One's sometimes a real study, one's a home management center. But we need, a, we, in most cases, many people want two places to work at home. Be, I have three in my house. Wow. I have one for my wife and two for myself. <laughs> my, my two depend on the mood I'm in. I'm talking okay. to you from my basement office. I have another office upstairs near my bedroom. I was going to say, is one of that more acoustical ones a Zoom room and, and soundproofed or just... This one's... When I, when I come downstairs, my wife knows I'm at the office. Okay. And when I'm upstairs working in my study, she can come in because I'm near... So if okay. I get up at three o'clock in the morning and have ideas, I want to be able to walk over there and write them down before I forget them. Gotcha. Which, some of my best ideas come in the middle of the night. So yeah, I'm a pretty big thinking guy. I'm, people pay me to think. That's okay. most of my consulting is hire Al. He'll make you a better thinker. And if he doesn't, he'll help think for you. That's kind of what I do for a living. Okay. I'm supposed to be a guy who knows how to think and analyze. Okay. I just went to a conference or a class two months ago that talked about setting aside time to think. And I haven't done it since, which is a poor reflection on me as a student. It's a, it's a terrible reflection. Yeah. Even if you set us some time to think about whether you should think. Yeah. Well, I've, I've been working on, on uh, visualizing and starting to, you know, see, okay, what does that look like? What's that going to feel like um, as, as I, you know, reach my goals and, and that. So do you, do you, 
would you count that as different time than thinking time? Yeah, I think it's a little, it's, it's a little bit of thinking time, but it's not the same as real thinking time. So I spend a lot of my time. My wife will tell you that I'm always thinking, even we're driving down the road in the car and I'm like, what do you, why is that there? What, how much does that weigh? Have you ever seen a silo that big? Why do you think they made it that big? What I want, I want to know the answers to every question in the universe. That's my, I ne- I won't succeed, but that's my goal before I die. And so okay. um, I'm looking here. I haven't thrown away the two encyclopedias that are in this basement office. Nobody has an encyclopedia anymore. My grandchildren were here. They asked me what it was. They, I couldn't even explain it to them. They, they were like, that, that doesn't make any sense, Pop. What, why would you need all those books? I have a thousand books in my house. Wow. I like books. I like to touch books. I like to read books. Yeah. I, I have two iPads and three laptops, you know, but I rarely read books on my iPad because I like to touch the books. I'm sitting here <laughs> next to my desk, the essential drucker, right? The mm-hmm. paradox of choice, the goal, my book, Building with an Attitude. They're all right here next to me. Okay. Strategy and Tactics of Pricing. Great book, by the way. And so, um, you know, it's like life is only fun if you're alive. And in my mind, you're only alive if you are doing things and thinking about things. You know, I love to, my wife and I love to travel. Mm-hmm. I've been to 73 countries in every state. Wow. So, you know, now, did I waste a lot of time traveling? I don't know. Some people would say, Al, I can't believe you wasted so much of your life on the plane. I'm thinking I was on the plane to get to a place that you've never been. So maybe I wasted it. Maybe I didn't. That's up to both of us to decide. Yeah. yeah so, that's neat. I mean, um, my wife and I love to cruise. We've been on 54 cruises. Wow. So, well, if you cool. want an easy way to travel, cruising is the easy way to travel. You get oh, in yeah. the hotel, you unpack your stuff. While you're sleeping, they move the hotel. Yep. Cool. Uh, what is some of the best advice that you've ever received professionally? I got some great advice from a builder named Dave Fox, who used to own Fox and Jacobs, that was mo- mo- merged into Centex. They were building about 5,000 houses a year. Um, Dave Fox told me, lots are like streetcars. There's always another one around the corner. And so even if I fall in love with a piece of land, I'll let it go if it doesn't make sense. There'll be, there'll, there'll be more land. Okay. Um, um, what other great advice did I get? I, I tend to give more advice than I get. Sure. I try to listen. Um, great advice. I don't know. Um, think before you act. I try to do that. Try not to be impulsive. Okay. Um, I try to, I think... Um, my, my dad told me when I was young, my dad only, never graduated from high school. He told me that experience is the best teacher. And like the wise-ass kid that I was, I told my dad, that's what people without an education say. <laughs> and no offense, Pop, but, you know, but I, now I'm in college and, you know, I don't think experience is the best teacher. Well, my father died when young, but it turns out he was right and I was wrong. Okay. And so... Book learning is great. Um, school is great. I still take classes online. I took a class from Wharton recently on negotiation. Took a class from Wharton on marketing. 
took a class from Michigan on um, University of Michigan on um, uh, gamification. Um, took a class on modeling, mathematical models. I like to build a lot of, I'm pretty good in Excel. I like to build a lot of mathematical models. And okay. so um, I do that for my clients. I have about 500 models that I've built. But, but you know, the best, the most I've learned is from doing. E yeah. Even when I teach people, as we do it, I'm learning and I know more for the next guy. Yeah. Right? I mean, I've, I've gotten a 50-year education from the people that paid me. So I think it's a great deal. I got the best deal yeah. going. Yeah, absolutely. Well, that's, I mean, you look at just initially, you tell me, okay, I, I built for seven years, but now I've been teaching it. Who wants to learn from a guy that did it for seven years and now is just spending his time teaching versus you're continuing to learn and grow and, and evolve with the industry? Right. So no, that's great. It's, lot, it, it's been, um, I'm very happy with my career and my life and the people that I know, the people that I've helped, the people that I've met, the things we've done. You know, has yeah. everything been a success? No, but we have a lot more successes than failures. Yeah. I mean, plans that we've designed have been built multiple thousands of times. Yeah, that's neat. Um, yeah, so I, I feel pretty good about that. That's great. What, uh, who have you learned the most from throughout your career? Hmm. That's a, you know, I, I, you did give me some of these questions in advance, but that was one I didn't really think about. Probably learned the most from my wife, okay. who, who is a very big fan of mine, but who's not afraid to tell me if she thinks I'm being a jackass. And so, you know, sometimes you need someone to slap you around a little. I mean, I, God knows I do that Absolutely. to my clients. So um, my reputation is that it's not easy to work with Al. Because if you, if you don't do it right, Al's going to give you a hard time. But I tell my clients, if you want to pay me to fly to town and tell you what a great guy you are, I'm the wrong guy. You're hiring me to help you get better. So let me yeah. help you get better. Okay. I mean, Lord knows... They, they know that that's what drives me. I'm about being better every day than I was before. Yeah. Every day I try to be a better coach, a better person, a better grandfather, a better father. I try to be better every day. Yeah. And un until I'm just not able to do that anymore, which point I'll probably be dead. So, Okay. Well, Alan, if you could go back to your first day on your first job site, what kind of advice would you give yourself? Be patient. Be, okay. I, I was, I'm still in a hurry, but I was in a much bigger hurry when I was 24 years old. And a, a little thinking, a little planning goes a long way. I'm always, you know, all my builders, let's dig. I'm like, let's talk before we dig. Yeah. Want to dig. I know you want to dig and I want you to dig, but not today, tomorrow, after we talk about what we're going to dig and why we're digging it, and where we're going to dig it, and what we're going to charge for it, then we'll go dig. Yeah. Okay. You know, the idea that you're not doing something at the moment does not mean you're not succeeding or making money. Frenetic energy is not a measure of success. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Well, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to ask one other question, and, and then we'll wrap up. But uh, what do you see are the advantages or disadvantages of integrating a company vertically, taking in your own labor crews versus just subbing everything out? So 
as a, well, what you described is only part of vertical integration. So I, I've written and talked a lot about vertical integration. So I'm kind of glad you went there. Okay. A lot of that depends on the market you're in, the labor pool that's available to you, and how much time and energy you're willing to spend on what are effectively other businesses. Right. So I have three or four of my clients have their own excavation company. Why? Control and tax reasons. Mm -hmm. But why would you have an excavation company for tax reasons? Because of section 179 of the tax code. You're familiar with that section? I think I know what it's about, but I don't know specifically That's by number. That's the section that lets you write off a big capital expense all at the front. Yeah. So I buy a million dollar excavator. I buy it on time. It pays for itself. I have it when I need it, but I get to take a million dollar deduction this year. Yeah. Right. So that's a reason. Um, the vertical integration I think about is more about being a land developer, being a builder and having a real estate company. To me, okay. that's the land. That's the integration I'm interested in. Mm -hmm. Right. Having your own crews in a place like Las Cruces or in a secondary or tertiary market may be a necessity to survive, particularly the key trades like a good crew that can frame, that can roof, that can, that can do a lot of the heavy stuff, not necessarily yeah. the mechanicals. Yeah. But because that most, most states require those to be licensed anyway. Right. But, but in many markets, I've had builders with their own framing crews and it didn't work. I have a builder now, he has his own framing crew, but only for part of the work. That's okay. in a town of 75,000. So, um, you know, it's a really good question. Oh, this is a great quote. Only simple minds have simple solutions for complicated problems or questions. So that question cannot be answered simply unless I had a simple mind and I don't. Yeah. Not, not at least not today. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's great. Um, well, Alan, thank you so much for your time. Where can people find your books and read, read your articles? So you can come to our website, which is called hbnnet.com. You can, if you go to um, Amazon, you'll find some of my books there available. Um, and if you can always reach out to our office, um, you, you can go to the website. My son runs my office. He'll reach back to you. And if we can send you something, we'll be glad to. Okay. Perfect. Awesome. Well, thank you so much, Alan. Really appreciate your time today. My pleasure. Thanks. Thanks for listening. I hope that you've learned something from our guest today. The Ben Beard Show is sponsored by Redcliffe Homes. The purpose of this podcast is to help young professionals find mentors in this crazy construction industry that we're in. If you have a story to tell about your road to a successful career in construction, I'd love to hear it. Please like and subscribe to the podcast to hear from all of our amazing guests. Join us on Facebook and Instagram at The Ben Beard Show.